Amen. Well, hey, church, I uh, want to give a shout out to John and Lucy Olson for my, uh, my cup. They saw the rather large cut that uh, Kurt and Ruth Ann Reese got me, and they decided to one-up that. And I can uh, neither confirm nor deny that this was indeed full of coffee. So, Lucy, thank you very much. Hope that you and, uh, oh, hope you and Rachel are feeling better and um, that you are, are finding, finding health. Church, I, I, I am excited to continue on in our series and this kind of bring our, our Colossians 3 focus over this Easter season to a conclusion. I actually um, wasn't, when I entered into this, thinking about preaching this verse, but the more I have spent time in this text, the more essential this verse has become. And so I'm excited to, to be with you this morning as we study Colossians 3, 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. When, when I was in college, I had a roommate whose dad was a doctor for the Dallas Mavericks, which uh, basketball team, NBA team in, out of Dallas, which was really, really cool. And every now and then he would call and say, hey, I got tickets to the game. Do you guys want to come? Which, you know, poor college kids were absolutely. Uh, and we would go. And if you're the doctor for the Dallas Mavericks, you don't get some chump seats up in the nosebleeds. Uh, you get seats right behind the benches. And so here he would take these poor college kids, and you wouldn't even need tickets. He would just walk in, and you would walk in behind him, and because you're with him, you'd just go sit down in these awesome tickets, awesome seats, and I, I, we got to go to playoff games and do all this. It was, it was awesome. Uh, just, and I remember sitting there thinking, who am I that I'm sitting behind the bench in an NBA game? It was, it was incredible. And, and I bring that up because we have named this series, We Are With Christ, and we have been making much of the reality that Colossians 3 teaches us that when we are alive in Christ, we become united with Him. And I grew up in, in the South, and as the old Southern preacher would say, that, that everybody is somebody when they are part of the body of Christ. Amen. And so, you know, I'm not going to preach that way, but I love what, what that teaches that we are a somebody. In the body of Christ. Matt's laughing at me now. It's true. I like it. And so we, we've been looking at this, that how when we were with Christ through faith, we are with Christ on the cross, that our, our sin is nailed to the cross. Our guilt is nailed to the cross. Our sinful nature is nailed to the cross and that through him, we can die to ourselves. And then as we saw last week, we are with him in the resurrection and his victory is our victory, and his righteousness is our righteousness, and his connectedness to God is our connectedness to God, and that through him, we can live in the power of the resurrected life. And those are awesome truths that are ours. And this morning, we will find the third with Christ statement found here in this section of Colossians 3. So if you have your Bibles, turn to just this one verse, Colossians 3 verse four, and he kind of brings all of this Easter saga for us to conclusion when he writes, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What, a, what an awesome truth. I absolutely love how the book of Colossians causes us to make much of Jesus Christ. That's what the whole book is about, just to get us as believers 
to understand that, A, we are united with Christ and that that is no small thing because Christ is the king of the universe. He was the one through whom creation came to being. He is the one through whom creation has its, its existence and sustenance now. And he is the one uh, to whom all of creation is made for and will sing to. I mean, we are, we are to make much of Christ. And I just love preaching through this section of Colossians because truth is when, when we make much of Christ, we don't have time to make much of COVID-19. When, and we don't have much time to make much of political parties and arguments when we're busy making much of Christ. And we don't have time to make much of, of our anxieties when we're busy making much of Christ. And so Colossians says, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated. And Christ is too big to leave any other room for any other stuff that this world might throw our way. And so if we are caught up in those things now, it's not because they are big. It's because we have traded in making much of Christ for making much of small things. And so Colossians has called us upwards to Jesus Christ together. And, and, and I've loved it. And, and so this morning, we're, we're just bringing all of this to conclusion here in, in verse 4. And, and he makes a powerful assertion in this verse about you and I. But, but before he gets to that assertion which we, it is the beautiful conclusion of the Easter story. But before he gets to that assertion about you and I as believers, he first makes two huge assumptions. And so I want us to walk through this together that we might ar arrive at the place where Paul arrives and in that just end our Easter together, uh, our Easter season together in a great amount of hope. So let's walk through these assumptions. His first assumption he starts off with, and it's a big one. And, and, and it's something that he just is assuming that the Christians in Colossae believe and, and understand and operate with. And, and you can see it right off the bat. Uh, he says, when Christ appears. He, he just says that nonchalantly and he's going to run to the assertion. But, but I don't think you can make the same assumption about us today as believers that he was making about his believers there. I don't think we live with this actual belief and understanding that Christ will come back. You hear what he's talking about? He's talking about the second coming of Christ. When Christ appears, it's just, he's making a statement. It's going to happen. And when it happens, and he's assuming that you and I believe that and are operating in life with that belief, which begs the question, are we? Are we? I, I, maybe you're like me and you haven't really been taught much about the second coming of Christ. Um, or maybe you're like me, and then every time you hear people talk about the second coming of Christ, they want to get in arguments about premillennialism and amillennialism and postmillennialism. And in all of that, I just get bogged down and I get disinterested. But I'll tell you what I am interested in. I am very much interested in how Paul is treating this like it is an assumption that we just need to have. While we may not know all the details, we need to have the deep belief that Christ is returning. Do you remember in Acts 1, after, after the resurrected Lord uh, spends his, his time with, with the disciples, when he is ascending up into heaven, do you remember what, what happens? There's Suddenly it says to two angels, two men in white appear to the disciples as they're standing there with their eyes towards the ascended Jesus and their mouth just 
gawking at what they just saw, suddenly two men dressed in white appeared to him, to them, and this is what they say. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Do you hear that? Right at the point of ascension, it is making this huge claim that, and he is going to come back. And everything that the church is built upon is a built upon this promise that the ascended Lord will come back. And, and so what does the Bible say about that day? It says a lot, but, but three just basic simple things that first, it will be a day that when everyone will see, every eye will see that Jesus is indeed Lord of all. And so scripture tells us every tongue will confess, every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. And, and he, everyone will see it. It'll be a day of, of making much of Christ. We all get to see his bigness. It, but it also says it'll be a day of judgment. That, that the dead will rise and he will sit as judge over all. But it also finally says that it'll be a day of renewal and restoration. Now, let me ask, do you believe that? Because Paul is assuming that as believers, you and I believe that. But do you believe that? Because that's the full gospel about the lordship of Jesus Christ, that he's creator Lord, that he defeated sin on the cross, that he defeated death in the empty tomb, that he ascended to the right hand of God as Lord, and that he will return to make all things new again. That's the full story of the gospel. And not only does the Bible teach that we need to believe in that, but Jesus himself teaches that we need to be operating like it's going to happen at any moment. Do you, do you remember the parable of the, of the, the, the 10 bridesma bridesmaids in Matthew 25? Um, a, a powerful story. Jesus very quickly tells a story about how uh, there, were, there were 10 bridesmaids waiting for the groom to show up. Five of them were ready. Five of them weren't. And when the groom finally showed up, the ones that were ready get to go into the party and the ones that were not did not get to go into the party. And this is how Jesus concludes that parable, Matthew 25, 13. He says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Church, to the degree that we believe that Jesus is coming, we will make much of his mission. To, to the degree that we believe he is coming, we will make much of his kingdom. Do you remember when you were kids and your mom would leave and she'd say, I'll be back at five o'clock and this kitchen better be clean and your room better be clean and the chores better be done. Do you remember when 4.30 hit? the urgency you would have in your soul when you're like, oh my gosh, we haven't done anything. Let's get to work. And you're rallying your brother and your sister and you're all cleaning. You're make, you got you to get it in because you know she's coming back. Well, the, the problem is that Jesus says, you don't know the day and the hour. And, and in the not knowing of the day and the hour, can we just confess that in 2,000 years, most of us have just started living like it's not going to happen. And so the assumption that Paul is making about the first century church, what would he say about the 21st century church? Do you and I live with the when Christ appears 
heavily assumed in our souls that we're ready. We're living, making much that he is going to come as he says, as a thief in the night when it's not even expected that it will happen. And, and there in the middle of that assumption, he makes a second assumption. Look at what he does. He says, when Christ, and here comes the second assumption, who is your life, he says. I, I love that. What, what a powerful reminder. Who, who is your life? When Christ, who, who is your life? Not, not a part of your life. Not, not an essential or a element to your life. No, he is life. He is it. He, he's, he, the, the, the assertion of Colossians is that Jesus is too big to just be part of our life. And so he's saying that if you are a believer and you have given yourself to Christ, then Christ is now your life. He's not just something you've added into your life. He's the totality of your life. I, I was at Lowe's the other day picking up some stuff for my wife's expensive and ever-expanding to-do list. Um, and, and I watched this lady wheel out this gigantic cabinet on one of those flatbed wheelers and, and lows. And she goes out to this tiny car that might be the size of the cabinet itself. And she gets up to the car, opens the trunk, and then goes about actually acting like she's going to get the cabinet into the tiny trunk. And I was, it's mean of me, but I just sat in my car and watched. That's how bored I am these days. It was entertaining to watch her frustration. And so then she goes and gets a Lowe's helper as if the issue was that she was doing it by herself. And so the Lowe's guy comes out and he quickly makes the assessment that that gigantic thing is not fitting in that small, small car. And so she had one or two options. Either she would go back in and get a tiny cabinet or she would leave and get a different car. But this isn't happening. And so it is with Christ that the Colossians is letting us see that Christ is huge. He is the creator of all and we are in faith united to him. And he will not just be shoehorned into our life as just a part of our life. Uh, or, yeah, he's a part of who I am. I am a believer, but I'm also these other things. No, no, no. Christ is not a part of. The issue is that he's so big that we've got one of two problems. Either we will trade in the biblical Christ to go get a tiny Christ that fits into our life the way it is, a, a, a Christ that gives us prosperity and comfort and ease. Oh, that's not biblical Christ. That's idolatry. But let's face it, many Christians do that because that way we don't have to change. I can just get this little you know, convenient Jesus and stick him into my life and where, wherever I have room for him and keep on living my life. Or you get the biblical Christ. And if you get the biblical Christ, the actual Christ of the Bible Scripture says he's too big to fit in your life the way it is. So you must die to yourself and come alive in Jesus Christ. And now, in the new life, he is life. He's every part of it. He is your identity. He is your strength. He is your joy. He is your purpose. He is life, which begs the question, is he? Is he? Is he your life? Have you received him as Lord and Savior? Through him, have you died to yourself? And as a result of him, are you living every day through his strength for his glory? Is he, is Jesus, your life? Paul is making the assumption that if you are a believer, then yeah, you 
he's your life. And, and so here he is built off of these two assumptions that Jesus will one day return as judge and king. And that right now, in the meantime, you and I have taken him as Savior and Lord. And in the midst of those two assumptions, he then makes a very powerful and amazing assertion. Assuming that those things are true, then he says, then you also will appear with him in glory. Do you hear that? You also, when Jesus your Lord and Savior returns, whenever that happens and he returns, you and I, if he is our Lord, if he is our life, he will return and we will appear appear with him in glory. That's the last with him. On that day, we will appear with him in glory. Paul has been going to huge strength uh, lengths to, to help us to grasp how huge the glory of Jesus is, that, that he is bigger than and more glorious than anything in all of the universe. The Colossian ones, Christ, Christ him. He's gone to great lengths to help us know that we are united to him. And here he brings it to this amazing conclusion. And when the glorious Jesus invades the inglorious earth, we will be like him. And why is that important for you and I to grasp? Why, why do we need to, to take that in? Because that is the fuel that runs the engine of hope in our souls. That, that's it. That, that we will be with them. Yes, this world is jacked up and broken. But there is a sovereign God who will one day return to make everything right by judging the wicked and restoring creation back to its Eden state of glory. And though I should be counted amongst the wicked because of my sin, I will instead be a part of the renewed state of everything because of Jesus Christ, that I get to be a part of eternal glory, that I get to be a part of the eternal Eden. And that is the hope and the final conclusive thing that Easter brings into our life, that that is what we're driving towards, that, that just like how our, our guilt is done away with through faith in the crucified Jesus, and fear is done away with through faith in the resurrected Jesus. Hopelessness is done away with through faith in the returning Jesus. And they all three make up the totality of the gospel that I hold on to all of those in this broken world, that I am guilt-free, I am fear-free, and I am full of hope. And I have all of that because of the totality of who Jesus is and that I am with him in those places because because of who he is. What an amazing story. I, I, I love how First how John puts this. First John 3. He says, dear friends, now we are children of God. And, and what we, we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. And you hear what, what scripture is saying, what Paul is doing here. The full picture of what Jesus Christ accomplished when he, he came to the earth in the manger, when he threw his, his ministry 
taught the kingdom of God. When he on the cross took the wrath of God for our sin. When he through the resurrection defeated death itself. He was setting up all for the day when he would eventually return and make all things new again. And if you fast forward to the end of the Bible and he says all things new, if you are alive in Christ, if you are one with him, he was talking about you. And so in the middle of this season where the fallenness of this world is on full display for all of us to see, we have a choice. We can either make much of that and try to find our hope and security in governments, in medicine, and those things can be good and they're gifts, but there's something that sits sovereign above all of that. And ultimately, all the things of this world will pass away and the sovereign one will return and he will make it into a day when we will no longer need governments and we won't need medicine. Because all things will be made new. I like how N.T. Wright puts it. He says, Easter is not the just, it's not just some ending of some night. It is also the beginning of some eternal day. And I, I love that thought. And so as we sit, we wait for the eternal day. That Jesus Christ first brought the sunrise when he rose from the grave. And he'll eventually bring that into our lives. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I pray that you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we're thankful. God, I, I just want to pray the prayer that you gave us through Christ to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven Come down and invade. Come, Lord Jesus. Make yourself known. Help us to be a church that is ready, that is about your mission. Help us to be a people that is about your kingdom. Father, help us not to live life, and, and even in the midst of a pandemic, like you're not on your throne, like you're not coming back. Just, just do away with that, God. Help us to live in the reality that you very much will be back and you'll set all things right. And that is our ultimate hope. And because of that, even the middle of pandemics and economic downturns, and we have an eternal hope that cannot be extinguished. And in that, God, I just pray for us as a people. That as John says, that we would be so set on this that we would purify ourselves as you are pure, God. That you would so move in us that we would take this seriously. Yeah. Father, I just lift up your church to you. Help us to believe even more. Spirit of God, do a work inside of your people that we would be ready. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.